Hi, welcome to Pamperils. I'm your host, Nia, and on this episode, I'll be talking about The Truman Show by writer Andrew Nicole and director Peter Weir. It came out in 1998 and it stars Jim Carrey. Stay tuned. The Truman Show stars Jim Carrey as Truman Burbank, Laura Linney as Meryl Burbank, Noah Emmerich as Marlon, and Ed Harris as Kristoff. There is also an appearance by Paul Giamatti as a control room director. That right there is a sound of spoiler alert. If you have not seen this film and you would like to, go ahead and pause this podcast, watch the film, and then come back when you're done. We've become bored with watching actors give us phony emotions. We're tired of pyrotechnics and special effects. While the world he inhabits is in some respects counterfeit, there's nothing fake about Truman himself. No scripts, no cue cards. It isn't always Shakespeare, but it's genuine. It's a life. On the air, unaware. Could you imagine having your entire life filmed? For some, this is a dream, others a nightmare, and for Truman Burbank, it's his reality, even if he doesn't know it yet. We follow Truman on the beginning of his 10,909th day. We follow his day-to-day interactions. He's a very likable and wholesome guy. Every morning he greets his neighbors happily, buys a newspaper for himself and a magazine for his wife before heading into his job as an insurance salesman. Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Truman's life is seemingly perfect. He has a good job, a wife, a house, and everyone in Sea Haven Island loves him. One day, while crossing the street, something falls from the sky, thankfully missing him. And when he walks a bit closer, it appears to be what we, the audience, know as a stage light. It even has a phrase written on the light itself. When he looks up at the sky, he doesn't see anything. It's just clear blue skies. But he is extremely confused at what he is seeing. He keeps on with his day, and as he drives to work, the radio host reports that an uh, aircraft flying over the island shed parts, which Truman believes wholeheartedly is a reason of why this random thing fell from the sky and landed by his house. At work, Truman uses a magazine that he claims he bought for his wife, and he discreetly tears pieces out of it and stows them away. He then makes a call to the directory asking for information about Fiji. He also asks about a Lauren or a Sylvia Garland. Neither name bears results and he hangs up. Just as he ends his phone call, his boss, Lawrence, asks him him to close a deal on Harbor Island. Truman is reluctant to go, but still leaves uh, leaves for it. But once he's on the pier, he turns around due to his crippling fear of open water. At home, Truman spends some time gardening before his wife, Meryl, returns home from work with a big smile on her face. And at this point is when we get introduced to our first product placement. And she's holding this object for the kitchen that can slice and dice and do all these things all in one. And she turns and makes this very kind of creepy, big, cheesy grin towards us the audience and Truman's just looking at her like uh cool you got a new kitchen gadget 
uh, awesome. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's the, that is the start of what we see of product placement in this film. And there I saw a um, clip, it was an extended clip, and it said that the reason why the Truman Show does product placement is because it's a 24-7 show, they never have commercials, and they have to have a product placement to pay the bills, of course, and pay the actors. Afterwards, Truman goes and he visits his friend Marlon, who is his childhood friend, and he confides in him that he longs to leave Steve Haven, quit his job, and travel to Fiji which is a childhood dream he has to explore the world. And later that evening, Truman's sitting alone on the beach and he's just gazing at the water, remembering the issue that happened with him and his father. And what happened with his father was they were on a boating out, a boat outing and Truman's dad said, oh, you know, we should turn back. You know, it's getting late. And Truman, being a child, of course, begged his dad, you know, please, Let's stay a little bit longer. His dad complied and it turned out to be a very terrible storm. His dad was thrown overboard and ended up drowning and dying. And this is what causes Truman to have this very traumatic fear and traumatic experience and rational fear of open water since his father died. Now, while he's sitting on the beach, it starts raining over him, only over him directly. He steps out from the from the rain shower and the rain shower follows him and he just keeps playing back and forth with it until the entire beach starts raining and he ends up leaving. When he gets home, he tells Meryl that he plans to go to Fiji, but she just tells him that they shouldn't go because they don't have the money and they have all these obligations that they have to do. And when he argues that, you know, he wants some adventure, she says, you know, we can have a baby. That'll, that'll be an adventure. And this look tells him that they should go to bed. Now in the morning, Truman drives to work and he sees a homeless man on the street. He looks a little bit closer and realizes that this man looks just like his father. Before he can get to the man, two people grab this man and take him away. Truman races after them and they take this man onto a, the homeless man onto a bus. And Truman is beating on the door, beating on the bus door window, begging the bus driver to stop. And the bus just keeps going as if nothing's happening. Also, no one reacts to Truman clearly screaming hysterically in the street. No one's looking at him. No one's batting an eye. Everyone's acting as if nothing's going on. Now, Truman questions his mom later over the phone, but she refuses to believe any of what he's saying and just dismisses what he's what he's saying and just saying it's just, you know, it's wishful thinking. Now, that night, uh, Truman goes to the basement of his house where he looks through an old trunk filled with memorabilia. He sees a red sweater and it has a pin on it that says, how will it end? Then we see a montage of a memory and it goes back to when he was in college and him and his best friend Marlon were in the band. They're outside and Marlon's playing the trumpet and he's messing with Truman. And Truman happens to gaze across across the crowd and he sees this beautiful young woman. And before he can say anything to her, Meryl falls on him. Oh, I'm so, says, oh, I'm sorry, it was an accident. And ends up getting distracted by Meryl and the woman's gone the woman's gone before he can, you know, leave Meryl and go talk to her. Now over the the next month or so, Meryl and Truman are always together. Until one night he's in a library studying and him and 
is him, Marlon, and Merrill. Marlon and Merrill are trying to get him to cut studying and go have some fun. But Truman is very dedicated to his studies. And he's like, no, guys, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to finish studying for the final. They give up with the peer pressure and they walk away. Later, he sees a someone's hand with a bracelet. And he knows it's a bracelet as the girl that he saw earlier. He looks up and he sees... He sees the same woman that he was looking at from the courtyard and he approaches her. He figures out that her name is Lauren, but she tells him that she's not allowed to speak with him. Though she says this, Truman keeps on pushing with hitting on her and that he'd like to go out with her sometime. She takes out a small piece of paper and writes down to Truman one word, now. The two secretly rush out of the library and the cameras frantically look around the room for Truman they lose them for, the, for a second or so, but they manage to find them running out of a nearby exit. Truman and Lauren run towards the beach where they're able to share a small, and I mean small, moment of privacy. And while they're there, she tries to tell him, you know, Truman, I got something to tell you. This is not what it seems. And Truman's like, I really don't care. And they end up having a nice kiss. And she just, uh, she's like, you know, I don't have a lot of time. They're coming. And he's like, who's coming? Like, what are you talking about? He's so enticed by her he's not really listening to her words and we we hear and see a car and its headlights and it's just barreling down these sand dunes and she's like you know Truman like this isn't real the sand it's not real the water it's not real this, this is all for you it's all made up for you and a man comes out of the car and Truman's trying to protect her and he's like who are you what what are you doing and she's like I'm I'm his father I'm her father, you know, and, and, and she she does this all the time for all, all, all the guys she dates. She she brings him down to the beach and he's like, I'm not understanding. And the dad says, oh, we're we're going to Fiji. Uh, she has schizophrenia like she won't remember this. And as he's talking, she's trying to tell Truman, like, this isn't real. This man's lying. I don't know who he is. I've never seen him before in my life. He's lying to you. Truman, like, please believe me. And Truman's like, well, where are you going? Where are you taking her? And the dad says, uh, Fiji. We're going to Fiji. So now we can see why Truman has this big idea of going to Fiji of all places, because he is in search of her. The pieces in the magazine that he's been ripping up and try to compile the face is of her. He's trying to remember what she looks like. When we cut out the memory... Truman takes the magazine that he's been tearing out of work and reveals Sylvia's face as he remembers it. Now, the next day, he goes to work, and while he's driving, the radio in his car begins to mess up, and it starts strangely broadcasting every single move he makes. When he's turning down the street, it says the name of the street that he's going on, and he starts getting paranoid. Finally, the crew realizes what's happening, and they are able to turn to a different frequency to throw Truman off. So Truman parks his car, gets out, and he he uh, walks around outside. He parks and ducks into a building. He makes his way towards an elevator, and as the doors open, he's surprised to see not an empty elevator, but an entrance to what seems like a studio filled with people wearing headphones and eating sandwiches. It's an actor's break room. Before he can register what's, what he's seeing, security grabs him and pushes him out of the building for quote-unquote trespassing. Confused, Truman walks to a nearby market where he sees Marlon's car parked. Truman tries to explain to Marlon what he just saw, but Marlon passes it off as Truman trying to have fun with him. Truman pulls, him, pulls Marlon aside and tells him 
that he's his best friend and he needs to confide that he's going to go away for a while. Now, when Truman returns home, he finds Zemiro and his mother looking at an old photo album. They show him and look on together as the TV begins to play an old film called Show Me the Way to Go Home, which is a clear attempt to reassure the notion of never leaving home. As Truman looks back on the, at the photo album, his eyes narrow on the picture of him and Meryl on their wedding day. When he looks a little bit closer, he realizes that Meryl's fingers are crossed, which implies that Meryl did not marry Truman truthfully. Truman then goes to a travel agency the next day to book a flight to Fiji, but the agent tells him that there are no available flights for at least a month. Truman understands, he leaves, and he's like, I'm, he's so determined to leave, he decides to, I don't care where I go, I just want to get out of Sea Haven. So he goes to the bus station, he buys a ticket to go to Chicago. When he boards the bus, everyone is quiet, everyone's looking forward. And there are these random characters on the bus. There's, e- there's even a nun on the bus and a soldier. One little, a little girl sees Truman and she turns to her mom to say, hey mom, isn't that? And the woman quickly grabs the girl and tells her to be quiet. And then the bus driver announces, okay, we're going to leave for Chicago. And he, he says it very awkwardly. And he tries to drive off, but the bus grinds and it starts to smoke. And they say, oh, you know, the bus is broken. Everybody got off the bus. And everybody except for Truman quickly gets off the bus, grabs their belongings and departs. Truman is still sitting on the bus in disbelief. The bus driver starts to get off, turns to Truman and says, I'm sorry, son. And the way that he says, the way that the bus driver says sorry to Truman, we can clearly tell that the bus driver, or rather the actor, feels very bad that Truman is trying so hard to escape his quote unquote reality. But every time he tries, he keeps getting stopped. Truman ends up going back home, and Meryl comes home from work and she sees Truman sitting in the car in the driveway, just fixated on something out of the window. When she goes to the car to sit with him and she tries to talk, he silences her and he tells her that he can predict what's about to happen. He tells her in particular that they're on a fixed schedule, that there's going to be a lady on a red bike, a man with flowers, and a vintage Volkswagen Beetle with a dented fender. Meryl tries to tell him that he's wrong, but Truman grabs her and makes her sit down so that she can see what he is talking about. And just like clockwork, we see the events unfold as Truman tells it. Truman then, irritated, drives off, drives down the street with Meryl, who demands that they return home. And he's like, no, I want to go on an adventure. Let's go somewhere. Who cares? As they're driving down the street, all of a sudden, a traffic jam occurs. All these cars come out like clockwork and prevent Truman from going on the highway. And Truman's like, hmm, that's funny. The road was clear and now it's not. Okay, whatever. So they go on a roundabout and Meryl's like, okay, we're going to go home. He's like, "Mm, you know what? No, I changed my mind. And they go back on the same street they just were on. Now the street magically is clear. And Truman's like, hmm, that's funny. Wasn't this road just blocked with all this traffic? Now it's clear like magic. And they go back on the road and Truman gets to um, another part of a road and it's a bridge. And Truman is terrified of open water. So he's just sitting there parked. 
Meryl realizes that he's defeated and it's like, oh, you know, Truman, you can't drive over over open water. You know, you have your fear of water. You know, you had your fun. Let's go home. Truman is very determined to leave Sea Haven. So determined that he grabs Meryl's hands, put him on the steering wheel, closes his eyes and floors it with the gas barreling over this bridge. And Meryl definitely helps him. She's terrified. She is screaming. She's hopeless. Once they cross the bridge, she lets him know, hey, we crossed, you know, like, open your eyes, please, please handle this car. And she tries to tell him, you know, like, let's, let's, let's go back home. This is, this is too much. They pass a sign that says warning forest fires. And Mary's like, oh, Truman, do you see the sign? And Truman's like, nah, I don't care about the sign. And he goes onward. But as he drives randomly, a line of fire crosses the road and Truman drives right through it. And Meryl is, again, still frantically screaming. And as they pass through that, Truman's like, okay, you know, we got some headway. And there's a roadblock of sorts. We see people dressed in like hazmat suits that are silver. There's all these police out there. And Truman has to stop the car. An officer stops him and Truman's like, what's going on? They're like, oh, there was, there was a leak at the power plant. So uh, you're going you're gonna to have to turn around. And Truman says, oh, okay, like I understand. And that after he says that, the officer says, no problem, Truman. And he's like, Truman, how do you know my name if I've never met you in my life? And that, you know, sparks something in Truman. He gets out the car and he makes a run for it in the forest. And he's trying, he's just trying to get away. He's trying to get to somewhere. And these men start chasing him and they catch up with him in the forest. Truman gives him a good run for their money, but they finally catch him in the forest, catch him with a net and they take him back to his home. Now, once back home, Meryl tries to console Truman by offering him a new drink she picked up. Again, product placement. And she turns and with a big smile, she's like, oh, how about this, this delicious cocoa from the mountains of Nicaragua? And Truman looks around and he's like, who, who are you talking to? Like, it's just me and you. And Truman's like thinking she's up to something. Meryl becomes upset and blames Truman's recent behavior and saying that he's crazy and he's frantic. And she becomes scared. And um, Meryl takes the pillow that she was advertising in the first scene and aim, aims it at him, telling him to back away and keep his distance. He grabs it and takes it from her and puts her in a, head, in a lock hold. And she screams out for someone to stop him. Truman, who's in disbelief, lets her go and demands for her to tell him what is going on. Like clockwork. Marlon appears at the door and walks in with a case of beer, as if it's just to casually hang out. Meryl runs into his arms and screams that this is not professional. Marlon takes Truman out where they sit at the edge of a road, sharing beers. Marlon tries to let uh, Truman know, hey, if everyone was in on this massive scheme of conspiracy, that he would have to be on it too, and that they are best buddies, and that the last thing he would ever want to do is to lie to them. But in reality... Kristoff is in Marlon's ear at the earpiece, telling him word for word what to say to calm Truman down. To throw Truman off even more, Marlon lets him know, hey, you know that homeless guy you saw down the street looks like your father? I found him. It actually is your dad. And that lets Truman's guard be down because he's so distracted by seeing his father. 
and they have him and his father meet on the bridge. They have a nice embrace. And, you know, it says if all is right in Truman's world. We cut to a moment of weekly of a weekly TV show titled True Talk. True Talk is a show they talk about all things Truman. Now, while that show is going on, we still see the Truman show. It's just in a smaller screen on the right side of the of the TV. And they're interviewing Kristoff and he's explaining how the show works and how they do the writing and all that kind of stuff. And Kristoff, this is where he explains the purpose of killing Truman's father, saying that it's so that we could give, we could implant this fear of open water for Truman so he would never have a desire to leave as he did in his youth. And bringing back his father was done with the hopes of getting Truman so emotional that he would forget about leaving. Now, there's a segment on the show where they have people call in that they have any questions or comments about the show. One of the callers, Kristoff, recognizes a voice as Sylvia, which is Truman's true love. She tells him that he's making a mockery of Truman's life and that this isn't fair, that he, that he is imprisoning him. And Kristoff counters that by saying that the real world is a prison and it's poison and that what he has done is actually given Truman the chance to lead a completely normal life free of violence or pain and said that Truman would, if he wanted to, could discover the truth and he can leave. Now, the following day, Truman appears to be fine and back to his normal self. He's even, um, you know, being funny in the mirror again, greeting his neighbors, goes to work, and he meets a new co-worker named Vivian. Now, Vivian, the show introduced because Meryl decided that she wanted to leave the show due to what happened. That evening, Truman moves some things around his basement, appearing to reorganize before falling asleep on a makeshift bed. After... Several hours of inactivity when Truman should actually be awake and doing stuff. Kristoff comes back at the control room and he gets a little bit suspicious while watching the video feed. Kristoff demands that the phone ring in the house. When the phone rings and Truman doesn't answer or even move, Kristoff cues Marlon to go over. Marlon goes to the base with a pack of bears and realizes that Truman's not in the bed. When he pulls back the covers, it's a wig and a snowman. And... Kristoff tells Marlon, hey, just look around the room, see if you can find him. When Marlon opens one of the closets, he sees a hole that was that was carved out. And he turns to the camera and says, he's gone. Kristoff freaks out. He does not know what to say or what to do and does the unimaginable. He cuts the feed. Now, y'all, the feed is 24-7. They have not experienced this before. It causes a frenzy in the real world. People are wondering what's happening, what's going on. This isn't normal. Now, when the search comes up empty, Kristoff can't figure out where Truman might be. No one can until Kristoff realizes, you know what? We haven't looked in the sea. Check the sea. As they're panning over the sea, they find Truman in a boat and he is sailing across. And the live feed comes back on and it cuts to him on the water. Kristoff orders one of the actors to go out and fetch Truman. But since they're actors, none of them actually know how to drive the ferry that's in town. So Truman is on his own and no one can come out to go get him. Kristoff utilizes his weather program to simulate a storm to entice Truman to go back to the port. However, Truman is dead set on leaving Sea Haven to explore the world. Kristoff is angry that 
Truman's being very defiant. This is not like him. This is very out of character. Since he's angry, he demands that they increase the wind, they increase the turbulence, more more rain, more lightning. And Truman is going through an extremely serious storm. And Truman keeps on sailing, determined to be victorious. And even screams at the at the sky, you're gonna have to do worse than that. You're gonna have to kill me if you want me to stop. And Truman's boat keeps on going. And finally, the water finally comes down. It's not as choppy. And finally, his boat hits something. And it seems to rip through the sky. And Truman stares in disbelief. And he goes to touch it. And he starts banging on what he thinks the sky is. And he gets out of the boat, realizing that there is a small part that he can walk on. He examines the wall and finds a short staircase that leads to an exit. He walks up the stairs and opens the door. As he's standing there in disbelief, staring at what he thought is the sky, and now there's a door in the sky, Kristoff comes over the intercom speaker, and he speaks to Truman directly for the very first time. He lets him know who he is, that he is a creator of a TV show, and that he's been watching Truman since the day he was born. And reveals his life is an entertainment show for a world for the world. He tries to convince Truman to stay with him and stay in this world where he can live happy without suffering or pain, and tries to implant the idea that Truman is still definitely afraid of continuing on until the quote unquote great unknown. Truman appears very deep in thought and looks at the sky and says, "In case I don't see ya." Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> yeah. After he says that, he bows as Kristoff looks on. He opens the door and leaves. Sylvia, who's watching on TV, is super excited, obviously. And she runs down her stairs and leaves her apartment in search of Truman. How much is too much? And can you truly be 100% yourself when you are aware you're being filmed and photographed? With Truman, we get the real him. He doesn't get a choice in the matter of what he can keep to himself. The studio even goes as far as creating a fear of open water when they took his father. The fear developed into horrible trauma. He feels guilty for convincing his father to stay out at sea that day longer than they anticipated, and he blames himself for his father's death. Even his mother, later in the scene, tells him, Oh, Truman, I don't blame you for the death. But the way that she delivers her line purposely, she is trying to put fault on him, though her words are saying the opposite. Any chance the studio gets, they deter him from truly making his own decisions. Even his wife isn't the woman he really had eyes for. They just forced Meryl on him when he naturally had eyes for Sylvia. A YouTube channel I found called The Take compared the final scene of the film to the devastating death of Princess Diana, and I definitely agree with their comparison. In 1997, while they were editing this film, Princess Diana died in a car crash that was partly caused due to the paparazzi pursuing her. They were still taking photos of her while she was dying in the back seat of the car. These situations definitely parallel. The studio, or rather its creator and operator, was willing to let Truman die on live television, stating, if he was born in front of a live audience, wouldn't it be fair to assume he would die in front of one? 
Reality TV isn't so much real life as it's for entertainment. It's controlled as we keep hearing in the film. Even Kristoff's name is short for Christ. He gets to decide every move of the show. He gets to decide who Truman gets to be friends with, where he works, and who he gets to marry. Kristoff states Truman isn't a prisoner and he can leave at any time. If he really wanted to discover the truth, he would. Though every time Truman tries to leave or discovers a hole in the plot, the creator throws a wrench in his plans. When Truman finally breaks free at the end and opens the door to the quote-unquote great unknown, it gives us, the viewer, hope for him. And we are no better than the fans of The Truman Show. We may look at them and think their moral compass is broken. How can one watch someone who doesn't know their life is just a TV show? Whenever we watch reality TV, we can talk trash all we want to about it, yet we are still consuming this TV show for whatever reason. We then turn around and talk to our friends, family, and coworkers about the drama we just saw on a TV show that is technically someone's life because at the base, there is some truth to what these, these situations, these are real human beings going through emotions. And like I said, we are still eating this up. Reality TV is one of the biggest forms of TV shows that we are currently viewing. For me, the first reality TV show I can think of was The Real World. And I, when I was watching this, this movie again, I was thinking, you know, I don't watch reality TV. That's not my thing. I have one show that I watch that is reality TV. And because it's a competition show, I try to separate it. But in reality, it's the same thing. So I'm definitely adding into that culture of reality TV. To me, watching this film directly relates with society's obsession with reality TV and celebrities. Millions tune in each week to see what these people are doing and entangle themselves in their life and drama, as if it were their own. Even if you think you aren't affected, you are. You may not be keeping up with the Kardashians or the Real Housewives, yet you know of them. Did we, as a society, ignore the warnings from the film The Truman Show? Simply said, yes. Ed Harris's character, Kristoff, near the end of the film, makes a claim that there isn't much difference between the real world and the world he has created for him. Currently, our society is consumed with oversharing. It's as if privacy is a thing of the past. Certain things that were once sacred or kept in small circles are now shared via online platforms like Instagram and YouTube, or more recently, TikTok. And now it's time for the INDB fun facts. In an early scene, a bottle of vitamin D is on Truman and Merrill's kitchen table, needed for those without exposure to the real sun. The film is studied in media ethics courses, particularly focusing on the characters of the creator, Christoph, best friend Marlon, and the prostituting of Truman's wife, Merrill. According to a 2008 New York Times article, psychologists in Britain and the U.S. reported a number of people experiencing the Truman Syndrome or the Truman Show Delusion, which is the belief that they are the unwitting star of their own reality TV show. Reportedly, many afflicted specifically mentioned the film in therapy. Every street in the sea, every street name in Sea Haven refers to a movie actor. For example, Lancaster Square or Barrymore Road. 
all of the quote-unquote cast members are likewise named their movie movie stars meryl marlin lauren kirk angela etc the overall look was influenced by television images particularly commercials many shots have characters leaning into the lens with their eyeballs wide open and the interior scenes are heavily lit because we're wanted to remind viewers that in this world everything was for sale Jim Carrey has said that being constantly watched by fans and paparazzi helped him relate to Truman. The ending of the film mirrors the ending of the C.S. Lewis book titled Voyage of the Dawn Trader, which is number four of the Narnia series, with a ship sailing to the end of the known world and encountering a sky blue wall with a doorway leading to another world. Truman's spying actually comes from his father. He caught it just before his father drowned and has worn it since the trauma. He gives it back to him when they meet again. This is why they struggle to find Truman when he escapes at the end of the film. Just before the boat stops, we see the number 139 prominently displayed on its sail. The ensuing dialogue between Truman and Kristoff contains some paraphrased references to Psalms 139, as do many other aspects of the film. A deleted scene reveals that had Truman not realized what was going on, Kristoff and network execs were going to broadcast the main show and its spinoff on a two-channel format. The main show following Truman and the spinoff following his unborn child, repeating the cycle all over again. The boat Truman sails on at the end of the movie is named the Santa Maria, the same name of one of Christopher Columbus's ships when sailing to eventually find a new world. The original script for this film was darker and had a crucial differences from the shooting draft. The city was not a utopian society, but there were staged criminal incidents. Truman had a drinking problem. It stated clearly that Truman makes love to his wife, whose real name is Hannah. Kristoff's intention was for Truman to have Meryl impregnated and the child would carry on the show. There were more clues that helped Truman realize the truth. The scene where Truman confronts Meryl was far more aggressive. Finally, and most importantly, after Truman passes the door, he meets Kristoff and the main cast members on a rooftop. While in the film, the story ends with Truman's exit from the fake world. In the encounter at the rooftop, which was in the script, the actors stare at him sheepishly. But Truman, in his rage, attacks Kristoff and tries to strangle him, but the rest of the actors hold him back. He's finally reunited with Sylvia. Truman's first name is a play on the words, True Man. His last name is the Studio City, Burbank, California. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Pineapple Reels. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email me at pineapplereels at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram. It's at pineapplereels. Tune in next week to Pineapple Reels, where I cover the Amazon Prime series called Them. Stay tuned.